gentleman left the church late one night, been in a meeting, and uh, he was walking home. And he came down the street, and the street light was on, and there was a man hanging on the pole there. Turns out the man was very intoxicated. He was drunk. And so the church man stopped and said, Can I help you, sir? He said, Yeah, I'm trying to get up them steps to my apartment up at the top. If you could help me, I would appreciate it. So the church man helps him, gets him up top of the steps, opens the door, pushes the man in, fearful that his wife may be there. And he didn't want to have to talk to her, thinking she might think he was responsible for his condition. And before he pushed him in, he, he said, I'll make a deal with you. If I get you in the, in the room, you promise you'll stay in bed and won't come out until you get sober. Yeah, I will. So he pushes him in the door. Comes back down the steps, and there's the man standing outside again, all beaten and bloodied. And he said, ma'am, we made a deal. You were going to stay in bed. Takes him back up the stairs, opens the door, pushes him in, comes back down the steps. There's the man again. He, this time even worse beaten than bloody. Takes him back up. A third time he comes down. The man's standing down there again. He said, we made a deal. You weren't going to come back out of the house. About that time a police officer came along. The drunk man looked at the officer and said, Officer, please come and get this man. He's taping me up to the top of the stairs and putting me in the door on the right. It's the elevator shaft. <laughs> you know, sometimes we make deals and they just don't fall through. And, you know, sometimes we try to be good Samaritans and things just don't work out. But that's what God's called us to do is to help people to try as we can to help someone. We started a series last week called Deal or No Deal. Now, you may be familiar with the TV show. Of course, they start out every show with 26 cases like this. Uh, today, we have case number two. Last week was case number one. And when they, uh, they go through, each case has between one penny and a million dollars in it. And the contestant gets to pick a case, and if, if uh, they go all the way to the end, if they keep that case, then that's, they get what's in that case. Could be a penny, could be a million dollars. Along the way, they eliminate cases, and as they do, they're made a deal. Someone offers to buy their case, or they can keep it all the way to the end. Today, as we go through our, our series, the second sermon, we're going to think about a little bit about what Jesus said last week, but what else he said last week. And remember, we learned last week that Jesus said the most important deal we can make is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. In fact, that's a command in the Bible. And Jesus said it was the most important thing that all the law and the prophets hang on, on that. And part of the deal in loving God is that we also love my neighbor. Now, if you truly love God, if you truly love God, you should want to love people created in His image. Because part of that deal is loving God is that I love my neighbor. 
Jesus also gave the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. James says that's the royal law in James 2, 8. And love is one of the main reasons God created us. God created us so He could love us, but He wants us to love Him, and then He wants us to love other people that He has created. We already learned that this love is not just a feeling, that it is a decision that we make. We talked about that, and you can go back and watch that video of last week's sermon. It is on our website. It's that word agape love, the Greek word. The Greeks, of course, had four words. They had a word for friendship love, a love for family kind of love, a love for romantic love, and this word agape is unconditional care and concern and compassion and respect for other people. In fact, in 1 John 4, 19, the Scripture says, we love, uses that agape word, because He, God, first loved us. And Romans 12, 9, using the word agape, says, love must be sincere. One man got a letter from... Uh, I'm going to call it a love letter lament from his ex-girlfriend. Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours truly forever, Marie. P.S. Congratulations on winning the lottery. Somehow I don't think her love was very sincere. Seems to me as though her motive were probably wrong for wanting to take her loved one back. Well, let's turn today to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. In today's lesson, Jesus gives a teaching as a result of a question that he was asked from what we'll call a lawyer. He was an expert in the law of Moses. And uh, as Jesus probably has a crowd there, this lawyer probably stands up and, and begins. And he says, Teacher, referring to Jesus, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns it around on him. Well, what's written in the law of Moses? How, how do you read it? How do you understand it? And the man quotes what Jesus, what we learned last week. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus said, well, you've answered correctly. It seems that you know what you do this. Do this, Jesus said, and you will live. But then we get to verse 29, and the lawyer has another question. He wanted to justify himself, the text says. So we asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? He wanted, why, why would he want to justify himself? Maybe there's some people he didn't love. And he's trying to get Jesus to say, you know, where's the limit at, Jesus? How far do I have to take this love thing? And Jesus begins this parable. Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. 
A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now let's stop there for just a minute. This is a parable. Of course, a parable is a simple story to communicate a spiritual truth, a godly principle, a moral lesson to help us, something drawn from everyday life experience to help us know how to live. And there are two questions that this parable is going to answer for us. Jesus, of course, is talking to a crowd and, and this expert in the law of Moses who we're calling a lawyer he was, of course, a teacher or a rabbi. He was one of the Jewish leaders. He's trying to trap Jesus into saying something wrong because the Jewish leaders didn't like Jesus, and they wanted to get rid of him. Last week, we saw sort of a similar thing. This time, Jesus didn't answer the man's first question. He turned it around and had the man answer the question for himself. But then the man had a question. Who is my neighbor? And that's the first question I want us to think about. And we all need to get this question settled in our mind. Who is my neighbor as I go along? Because we're going to have to deal with this throughout our lives. And here Jesus illustrates in this parable, one of the, probably the, the second or the first most well-known parable out of the Scriptures, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The other being the parable of feeding of the 5,000, the two fish in the five loaves. But here Jesus answers, and basically what he says, a neighbor is anyone we encounter who is in need. William Barclay, writing about this passage, says, the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho was a treacherous road. Jerusalem was 2,300 feet above sea level. And Jericho was located next to the Dead Sea, which was 1,300 feet below sea level. So the road had a drop. It was steep, 3,600 feet from Jerusalem down to Jericho. This road was crooked and windy, and it had a lot of big rocks on it. And robbers used to like to hide on that. And everyone knew this. And so some would say this man was a little bit foolish to be traveling that road by himself to start with. But there he was. And this road had always been treacherous for travelers having to face robbers. We might be quick to point a finger at that guy and say, you know, you deserve what you got. You should have you been... You should have known better than to get out on that road and try to travel by yourselves. You know, people make a lot of mistakes in life, don't they? I mean, we all know people that they didn't set out to do it, but maybe they became like the drunk man in the opening story. Or maybe they got hooked on drugs, and we say, man, that's just stupid. Why would you do that? Well, people don't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to be a drug addict. Sometimes people are careless with their lives, and they make mistakes and get in financial trouble. Some people, they fall into pride and, and it ruins their life. Or they fall into greed or they desire to be popular and they do things that don't make sense. 
just stupid mistakes. We've all done it. We've all made mistakes in our life. But you know what Jesus is showing us here is when we encounter one of those people, even though it may be their own fault that they're in the situation they're in, we're still called by God to attempt to help. Secondly, what I want you to see about who is my neighbor is a neighbor can be any nationality, any status, even our enemy can be our neighbor. I think Jesus purposely leaves out the nationality of the man. It just says a man. Some translations say a certain man was going down to Jericho. We know the other players in the story, don't we? We know the priest. He was definitely a Jewish man. He served at the temple. He was a spiritual, one of the spiritual leaders of the, of the temple. He represented God to the people. He also took the sacrifices from people and presented them to God on their behalf. He was a, he was a holy man. And the Levites, he was a Jew. They assisted the priest in their work there at the temple. And they, they, uh, they took care of things. They kept the temple cleaned up. And they probably were the ones that had to do the dirty work of disposing of, of the excess skins and things from the animals that were sacrificed there. He was a good Jewish man. The Samaritan, it's obvious, he was from Samaria. He was not a Jew. The Jews despised Samaritans. They hated them, in fact. They would consider the Samaritans to be their enemies. You know, years earlier from the time of Jesus, Samaritans, well, they had been Jewish people, and they intermarried with those people in the area up north of Judea, and they became known, that became known as Samaria, and those people, because they had intermarried, which was wrong, according to the law of Moses, they became despised, by the Jewish people. But the traveler were never told what nationality he is. I think on purpose, we know he was probably foolish to travel that road. But Jesus is showing us that our neighbor is not just the guy next door. Our neighbor is anyone we encounter who needs our help. Now look at verses 34 and 35. Jesus continues... His parable, the Samaritan, he says, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He put the man on his own donkey and brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when we return, I will reimburse you for any expense you may, you must, you may not have. So the second question, how? Do I love my neighbor? And of course, this text helps us see that. There's some ideas here that Jesus, uh, I think, gives us to help us understand what it might involve to uh, help my neighbor. It's not exhaustive, but you'll get the point. You know, C.S. Lewis said something interesting in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, do not waste time on bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as though you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets when you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love them. Maybe that's good advice. But this parable reveals some characteristics that love may require if we're going to follow the command to love our neighbor 
as ourselves. And I see seven requirements here. And the first is this. Love may require getting involved with people I don't know. You know, none of these characters seem to know who this beaten traveler was in the ditch. Luke 6.32 says this. If you love those that love you, what good is what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. You know, the point being that we sometimes have to love people we don't know and even people that have not been good to us. Somebody said this, It is natural to love them that love us, but it is supernatural to love them that hate us. And maybe this guy in the ditch was an enemy. But sometimes we have to put ourselves out to unknown people to help them if we're going to obey the Lord. Love may also require you to get dirty. You know, it's interesting, this priest and this Levite, the holy men in the story, they crossed the road and passed by to the other side. They didn't want anything to do with this man. They were fearful of being deemed unclean, especially spiritually unclean for touching blood or being around someone. There was obviously blood and mud in that ditch. But you know, sometimes when we help people, it's not just, it's not just literal dirt that we have to worry about. We have to get in the trenches with people where they are. And we may feel unclean. I remember several years ago when I preached at the Louisville Church outside of Knoxville. And uh, I had preached on this very passage. And Jeanette and I left church that day. We were the last to leave the building. I locked the door. and We got in our car. And as we traveled down the road not far from the church, here was a car in a ditch and two elderly women standing out there not knowing what to do. I looked at Jeanette, and she looked at me, and she said, you have to stop. And I said, I know. I just preached on the subject. And so we stopped and got out, and it had been raining, and it was wet and muddy in that ditch. And the way she was in the ditch, one of her wheels of her car was not touching the ground. It was sort of sitting on the edge of the road there. And I thought about ways that I could get that out of there. Of course, I got down in the ditch and looked, and I, I had on probably these same shoes and, and maybe these same pants, and they got mud all over them. And finally, I determined that if I had a board, I could lodge it up under there against the road and get it up underneath that tire where it could get some traction and she could drive her car out of there. So I had to go back to the church and search for just the right board and, and then come back. And it took over an hour to get this done and I was filthy and it started to rain again and I was wet and everything. But as I finished helping that lady get out of the ditch, the thought occurred to me, I just preached on the Good Samaritan and how many of my people had left the church and drove right by that lady and didn't stop. And so I'm thinking today, when you leave here, don't think, oh, I don't have to stop. The preacher's right behind me. You stop. You stop and help. Because that's what God calls you to do. Sometimes you'll get dirty. Love may require also hands-on service. 
too often, you know, we tell people, well, I know you have a need, I'll pray for you, and we pat them on the back. Never discount the power of prayer now, but that's not all God wants you to do. Sometimes you may be the answer to the prayer. And Samaritan, look at what he did. He bandaged, he cleaned, he rubbed oil and wine, the best medicine they had in that day. You know, James 2.14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I heard about this ingenious teenager, and his little sister loved for him to read stories to her. And so, but he was getting tired of reading stories to her all the time. And so he got a tape recorder, and he recorded six of her favorite stories. And he gave her the tape player, and he said, Here, you can read, you can listen to my stories anytime you want to. Is that good? She said, No. He said, why not? She said, because that tape recorder doesn't have a lap. And you know, sometimes it just takes presence. It takes hands-on. Sometimes people just need to be loved up close. The only kind of love that surpasses that, that up close and personal, hands-on love is the love of God. And God calls us sometimes to be His hands. Love may also require me to make a sacrifice. Maybe you remember the, uh, the famous story of the miracle on the River Kwai some years ago. It's a story written by Ernest Gordon, a book, and I think there was a movie made about that. And Gordon tells the story about one day on a work detail, they were out working, they were in a Japanese uh, prison camp, prisoners of war, and they were out working on a railroad, and they went to one of their stops uh, for a break and a checkpoint, and they counted up the shovels, and there was a shovel missing. And the captain of the Japanese army that was in charge pulled out his revolver and said, somebody better own up to losing that shovel or I'm going to start shooting each one of you. Well, everybody was silent for a minute, and then finally one man stepped forward. The Japanese captain took a shovel and beat that man half to death. And they dragged him along. And then finally they got to another checkpoint. And they counted the shovels again. And they were all there. Turns out they had just miscounted the first time. But that man, rather than see his fellow soldiers shot, decided to step forward and put his own life on the line to prevent others from being killed. You know, there's a famous verse that Jesus said. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you know, Jesus didn't just say that. He did it. He proved it when he went to the cross. He was willing to sacrifice. Most of us will probably never face the time when we have to sacrifice our own life for another person. The Samaritan didn't have to sacrifice his life, but he did have to give up and sacrifice a little some of his money, 
he had to sacrifice his donkey so he could put the injured man on it and he walked the rest of the way to the end. Love sometimes requires me to make a sacrifice. Love may require me to get others involved. The, the Samaritan took the traveler to an inn and, and asked the innkeeper to take care of him. Maybe he knew the innkeeper. Maybe he stayed there sometimes. But he was willing to ask for help. You know, sometimes we say, well, I just don't want to bother anybody. But then we can't give the care that we need to give, and the person may go unhelped. You can't always do it all, but you need to get others involved. And the first person you need to get involved is God by lifting it up in prayer. So seek others if we need. Love may also require me to invest. The Samaritan gave bandages and oil and wine and time and money to denarii. A denarius was worth a day's wages. That was two months, uh, payment for two months of stay at an inn in that day. Sometimes love will cost. It'll cost us time and talent and treasure. It's an investment in the kingdom. And love may require me to follow up on those who need help. You know, that a Samaritan agreed with the innkeeper, that I will come back and check on this man. I'll follow up on him. Maybe you'll need some more money for what it takes. Whatever it takes, help the man, and I'll come back and follow up. You know, follow up is a good time when we can meet with a person. Sometimes when a person is in a bad situation that we're helping or, or when they're in pain, it may not be the best time to say, Brother, do you know Jesus? It may not be the best time to talk about spiritual matters. But when we follow up and check on the person, that gives us a good opportunity to find out where they are spiritually. And maybe pray with them and maybe share the gospel. Ephesians 4.15 says, Speak the truth in love. And the gospel, which we heard last week, and if you don't know it, you can go back to last week's uh, message and hear it plainly given. And the gospel, sharing the gospel shows the greatest love of all. And it may be the biggest compliment you can pray, you can put on somebody, is to share the gospel with them. Well, verse 36, Jesus looks at the lawyer and says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Was it the priest? Obviously not. Was it the Levite? No. Yes, it was the Samaritan. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Now notice what he's not saying. He doesn't even say the word Samaritan. He doesn't even call him a man. He just says the one who had mercy on him. But Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. And that's what Jesus is saying to us all. Go and do likewise. Here's our connection. Loving my neighbor will require conscious action on my part. Love is not just a list of do this and don't do that. It requires us to look at every situation and evaluate and to look at people as God sees people. Daryl Brock, in his writing about this passage, says, Do not rule out certain people as neighbors. To love God means to show mercy to those in need. An authentic life 
is found in serving God and caring for others. Neighbors are not determined by race or creed or gender. Neighbors consist of anyone in need made in the image of God. So we all have to look at each situation and each person and determine how we're going to help. You know what's amazing is God will send His Holy Spirit to work inside of us and His grace to help us. So I ask you today, as they do at the end of each of those game shows, deal or no deal? Are you going to love your neighbor as you love yourself or not? Well, if you open up the case, this is what you find on the inside. Love people. That's what God calls us to do. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for uh, this story that Jesus gave, this parable. Lord, he, he was a, a good teacher, and he was willing to do everything that he, um, that he commanded others to do, even give of his own life to save the world. And so we pray, Father, that you help us to take into mind what Jesus is to say and to help us understand who my neighbor is and how you call me to love. And Lord, there's no end to the ways that that may happen. But help us to be your people and to know that whenever we step out, whenever we put ourselves out there, that your Spirit is there with us, beside us, and your grace is upon us to help us to succeed in loving our neighbor. So we lift it up to you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.